0: All right. Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today is yet another special day, another special show. We're going to be doing a debate breakdown, just me and you. Yep. Um,
1: No friends today. Just just, uh, Doug Burgum and Tim Scott (laughs) and Obama's curtains.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, look, let me tell you guys up front, what you're going to see on the Secular Talk channel for free is our general debate breakdown and one of our reactions to one of the clips, but there's going to be like four or five other clips that uh, you need to sign up on Substack in order to see if you want to see the video version of it today. If not, you, I mean, you could wait until uh, tomorrow in order to see the, or listen to the audio uh, podcast version of it, but I highly recommend you go to Substack because this is, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here and I certainly wouldn't want to miss any of it.
1: Yes, indeed. There were many, I mean, there were no good moments, but there were a lot of moments. There were a lot of moments.
0: I mean, all right, so so let's go ahead and dive into it now yeah. because there's so much to talk about. But I think it, this is the most unanimous I've ever seen everybody's opinion on it. Mm. Like, you have a similar take to me. I don't know what Sagar thinks, but I think he probably has yes. a similar take to us. Yes. Like, and it seemed like the general uh, vibe from social media was also the same. That, th- to me, this was the worst debate I've ever seen in my life.
1: I can't think of a worse one. I really can't. On every level. Like, the candidates were bad. You could tell they're super desperate. None of them were on their game. There was no one that had a on performance. The moderators, horrendous.
0: Except the Univision one, I'd say. Yeah, see, I agree? agree with you yeah. because
1: we actually had a little bit of a dis- debate about this on breaking points because Sagar and Emily were kind of like, why is she framing everything from this liberal perspective? It's a Republican primary. But I actually sort of liked that her framing was adversarial in that way. Of course. Versus, yeah, and and I also pointed out, you know, when it's a Democratic primary, they always frame things from a right-wing right direction and no one says anything about it. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so I didn't mind that it was, I actually, I thought she was the best of the three. Um, I thought, you know, the content of the questions, horrendous. They didn't ask them hardly any questions about things they actually might disagree on. It was just like, Go do your talking points about immigration now. Everybody go. Go tell me how much you hate crime and love police officers. Everybody go, which made it extremely boring. They completely lost control of the debate. So you'd have these long sections of everybody cross-talking, and you can't make sense of what's going on. Completely unproductive. So— The whole thing, just a total mess, peppered with a bunch of, like, sort of hilarious Reagan nostalgia, just as the icing on top. So uh,
0: there absolutely was Reagan nostalgia. They were blowing his dusty ass. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stop right there anyway. Um, So the Univision host asked, like, the first three or four questions from her were all about immigration. And even I was like, I get, like, two, but once you get to three or four, it's like, mm.
1: it also, it always makes me very uncomfortable when they're like, we brought in the Latina yeah. to token, ask the immigration token questions. Latina. Here you go. go.
0: Ask the thing. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to bring a mariachi band with her next time? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, but then after those first three questions, then it started, she started really hitting them. I thought really good. So she was like the one bright spot in the debate. A, a random side point here though, the lighting of the debate mm. was horrendous. Yeah. Like Mike Pence looked like he was dead. He the, looked like a carcass.
1: The, the like backdrop behind them being all digital too I think you tweeted that it made it look like an AI debate it like did it yeah. looked, I when they zoomed out the stage was very was like lovely and beautiful and whatever but the tight shots with the candidates bad
0: Vivek Ramaswamy's hair was like seven feet tall <laughs> that was incredibly bizarre yeah, so just, like, everything about it was just, like, a little off. Something about it was just a little That's off.
1: so, so true. Yeah. The intro, they did this, like, oh my God. these slow-mo, like, face turns, dramatic face turns in the candidate, and from there on, everything was just, like, a little surreal, a little bit not right.
0: So I'm going to get to my uh, specific like who won, who mm-hmm. lost, all that stuff in just yeah. a second. But one more uh, point, because you brought up the crime thing there for a second. That part drove me crazy because, first of all, the whole intent was like, here's a softball down the center of the plate. Now virtue signal about how bad crime is and how you're against crime. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, bold take. I think crime is bad. Well, I think crime is bad, too. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys are so brave. Congratulations. <laughs> but the part that drove me crazy about it is like the leading candidate in your party was just... just found liable for fraud. How about oh, that? Oh, so you're really tough on crime. You're not gonna say a goddamn word about that. Never mind the ninety one other criminal charges against him. Never mind the fact that later in the debate they asked a question about gun control and they're all like, leave the guns alone. It's like, oh yeah, I'm tough on crime, unless of course it's gun crime, in which case, by all means have a field day. And then also war crimes. They
1: and don't give a shit about war crimes either. There was an immediate turn, I think even within the space of a single candidate's answer between like the tough on crime rhetoric and then complaining about how Democrats lock up like innocent people over gun right. charges. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. How did these two so wait, things So is Hunter innocent? Right, exactly. Because he's being charged with gun so That's drive, exactly so, yeah. right. Is he one of those innocent citizens who's being persecuted for his gun ownership? Somehow they didn't have anything to say about yeah. that one.
0: All right, so I'm going to give you my general breakdown of the specific candidates. And I'm very curious what you think. Because we actually okay. didn't talk about this before we no, came we on air in that. terms of, like, <laughs> yeah, if you put a gun, and I didn't watch it twice this time. I could not bear to watch it twice. Normally, that's my debate tradition. It's like I watch it once to get the general vibe, then I watch it again so I get specific clips. I was like, you know what? Whatever clips are out there, I'm just going to take those because I can't watch this again. There this was no just...
1: point in watching it again because, I, I mean, we'll get, like, because none of it's going to matter either. So That's it's like so why true. waste your time watching something so irrelevant a second time.
0: So my sincere answer who the winner of the debate was or I should say winners of the debate. Yeah. Biden and Trump. Yeah. Without a doubt. And even Biden, like his social media team was trolling the debate and like posting like when uh, I think DeSantis finally went after Trump directly and said, like, he should be here. He should be taking your questions. It's disrespectful. He's not here. And he added seven point eight trillion dollars to the debt. And the Biden team cut an ad that just has DeSantis saying that. And then at the end, it's like, I'm Joe Biden. I approve this message. So, like, I I definitely think Biden won in this debate because it just shows how insane all of these people are. And Trump won just from not being there. I mean, homie's already up 40 or 50 points at this rate he's going to win the primary by 80 points yeah with how terrible everybody on stage looked
1: 100% agree there's no one that had anything like a breakout performance like the first debate you know I thought Nikki Haley had exceeded expectations I thought she comported herself well putting all substance aside like she was much stronger than I expected she truly had a little bit of a media moment donors flocked to her And she was the one candidate that from debate one to debate two saw a sustained increase in the polls. Mm -hmm. No one else did. Trump actually saw a little bit of a bump, but everybody else was basically flat or even lost a little bit. Nikki actually had a a notable bump in particular in Iowa and New Hampshire. She needed to repeat that. I think she really sort of fell. none of her stuff landed this time. So if I like the winners to me, Trump. To me, is the obvious winner. They're also afraid of, even though they did these little jabs at him, they're also afraid of him. Except for Christie. I know, I know. And I'm like, you're you're going so viciously against each other, which okay, fine, whatever. But you're not laying a glove on the dude who's beaten all of your butts by at least forty points. So that's part of what is so surreal about it. I know. As you have this whole theater of this supposedly being consequential, and you're not even talking about or critiquing. The guy who is leading this whole thing and almost certainly going to be the nominee at this point. So that was bizarre. So that's why I would say if, you know, if I had to pick a loser amongst the many losers on that stage, I think it was not good for Nikki Haley. I could see her losing some of the bump that she got out of the first debate. Um, And, you know, she she failed to match her first performance. I said to Sagar on Breaking Points, it reminded me a little bit of Kamala Harris in the Democratic primary last time around. First debate, she had that whole prescripted, that little girl was me thing that did very well for her in the moment. And she searched in the polls and then she was never able to follow that up with another performance. And from there on out, it was just her sort of like falling off, you know, into oblivion and then being plucked out of oblivion to be the vice president of the United States. But it was a little bit of a similar vibe for me with Nikki Haley. You can get away with those pre-planned attacks once, but she wasn't able to make it land or work in the same way the second time around.
0: So my three biggest losers. Yeah, definitely. I think Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in my Mm -hmm. opinion, they shit the bed super hard. And I think I know what the issue was with each one of them individually. So with Vivek... He overcorrected yeah. from what he was told previously that the focus groups say you're arrogant, you're a know-it-all, you're obnoxious, and, and all that stuff. He even
1: almost came out and said like, I know you guys think I'm arrogant and a know-it-all, he but did I'm say, gonna prove you wrong, yeah.
0: He did say something about know-it-all. He <laughs> yeah. did, absolutely. I, I remember because I watched it back in a clip on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, he actually like directly addressed it.
1: Yeah. But it was
0: definitely an overcorrection. You know, for everything I said about how I didn't think he was the winner of the debate last time, I also said it was feast and famine for him. He did have moments that were really good moments, but he also had moments that I thought were really bad moments, but he made noise. And at least that was something mm-hmm. this time he came in very meek, very passive. Um, I think this is a problem with all these people in, in these debates is they're not punchy enough. Nobody mm. wants to hear your fucking soliloquy. If you got if you have something to say, you better spit it out in 20 or 30 seconds or you're done for. And Vivek likes to build up to a crescendo with his pointing and it's like it's not working. It's not going to work. You're going to get cut off by seven other people and you're never and you're not going to put a fine point on it. Yeah. Okay? And also you sound like the Republican Pete Buttigieg which everybody knows. So I think he failed horribly.
1: Can then, I, let me just react okay. to that before you get to the other ones. I think I Read it exactly the same way. Clearly got some focus group or consultant feedback or whatever or saw that he didn't move in the polls. In fact, I think he actually fell off a little bit in the polls between the first debate and the second debate and was like, all right, I got to change course. But it's so naked Yes, what he was doing—that yeah. it rather than feeling like, oh, he's like the grown-up in the room and he's bringing people together—it's like you, Weasley, little, yes. like with your finger <laughs> in the air. It's like, mm. Oh, they didn't like my personality. Let me just totally rework my whole personality to try to please you this time around. And so it feels very—it just—it just feels very politiciany. It feels very put on. And he got called on it on the stage too. They yeah. were like, oh, where was your Mr. Conciliatory last time <laughs> around when you we were like, oh, we're all bought and paid for shills. So so I don't think it worked well for him.
0: It didn't. And it's like it's like how he dropped woke like a sack of potatoes as soon as he realized that wasn't polling well. Yeah. This is the exact same thing. The exact the spirit of that is the same. It's like fine, I'll, I'll be somebody else. You be, I'll be somebody else. No Right. Problem.
1: Like I will I will literally rework my entire personality yeah. based on a focus group.
0: Now, That's Ni- incredible. <laughs> now Nikki Haley, I think, was told by her staffers, look, you surged, you have a real chance, you have to assert yourself. You have to be aggressive. You have to be dominant. You have to be the one that shines. And I don't think she picked her spots well. Yeah, I think. J- and this and it's not just her that's guilty of this, to be fair. But for the love of God, shut the fuck up. Everybody's <laughs> cutting everybody off. Everybody's yelling over everybody. Yeah, it just see. All of it seems so childish. And like you said, it's especially pathetic when none of you are really laying much of a glove on Trump right at the same time you're ripping each other apart right because it's like are you all just trying to be like i want to be secretary of state i want to be defense secretary i want to be whatever U.N. ambassador again i want to be vice president i want to be you know a top advisor like is that really because it looks like in a sense some of them might be resigned to that and then tim scott i think he had the same problem as nikki haley he was told be aggressive and he just wasn't good at it
1: yeah you know yeah so i think with nikki haley You know, she she felt like and she did. She had a very strong first debate. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's funny because you can almost hear the political consultants in the ear of all these candidates as they're trying to assert themselves and do whatever their plan was on the stage. And so I think for her. The moments that people liked from her from the first debate were some of her most aggressive and argumentative when she was picking fights with Vivek. So she's like, oh, the thing that did well for me the first time was picking fights. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pick fights again and I'm going to try to, you know, recapture the performance I had the first time. And I agree with you. It just didn't land in nearly the same way. And she ended up looking small rather than looking last time. She looked more commanding. This time, all of the like petty fights made her look small. Tim Scott, I 100% agree. Tim Scott was very passive. You know, his natural personality is he's kind of the nice guy. Yep. You know? That's right. That's his colleagues in the Senate. They all really like him. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like Tim Scott is just, he's a nice guy. He's affable. He launched his campaign trying to have this very positive, very Reagan-esque like, warning in America. That's, like, his, that's his comfort zone. And so when he saw Nikki, who, remember, is a rival from the same state and Mm -hmm. they know each other very well, surging and getting all this praise from being aggressive and being a fighter and also Vivek, by the way, getting a lot of attention for being super aggressive. His consultants were like, you got to fight. You got to get in there. You got to mix it up. And it's super uncomfortable. It's just not who he is. It's super uncomfortable. He had clearly practiced all these lines and these attacks yeah. that he was trying mm-hmm. to articulate <laughs> and getting the words all mixed up and just not being able to land it. And some of them, as we're going to show you, ended up being preposterous. Like oh. trying to hit Nikki Haley on the curtains at the UN ambassador's residence. So it's like, what are you even talking about right now? Why are we fighting about curtains right now? It didn't work for him. It and, just didn't work for him.
0: And the <laughs> shit he said, we're going to get to this later, guys. The shit he said about Lyndon B. Johnson. <sighs> I wanted to jump out of the Ugh. window of our apartment. It was, I, it was the worst thing I've ever heard. One
1: of the most insane things I have ever heard. Yeah. No, and it was, insane. it was Tim Scott. I'm one of the good ones. I'm
0: one of the good ones. And actually uh, Colvin made a great point in the control room. He was saying that like he, now he's locked up that South Carolina Senate seat for life though. And maybe that was the goal, mm. you know, and I think I do think that it'll actually have that effect if he wants that sent, South Carolina Senate seat I think he's got it locked up for life but that that's basically what the that rant was but okay I'm gonna put you on the spot here though okay you have to pick at least one quote unquote winner of the people who are on stage I'll give you mine okay um and by the way just to be clear I don't I don't ha- this isn't a hard take because I don't think I genuinely don't think anybody won on that stage yeah I don't think anybody won on that stage yeah but if i I was forced to pick I would say <sighs> Maybe Christy, because he annoyed me slightly less, and he didn't talk over other people as much, and he Mm -hmm. didn't get talked over as much. So maybe him, even though he had some gross moments, like the sleeping with a teacher for 30 years or whatever, and the corny Donald Duck. Don't worry. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Hang in there for that. So cringy. Um, So maybe him, uh, maybe Pence, even though he looked like he was a ghost and a carcass because Mm -hmm. he looked horrible, but for the same reason I say for Christy, because he didn't cut off other people as much, and he didn't get cut off as much, and maybe... Desantis although I do have to admit that in the first debate I think the faces were made a bigger deal of on social media than they were in reality in this debate I think the social media reaction is going to line up with what most Americans think which is what the hell is going on with your face bro <laughs> he looks like he does he's uncomfortable with existing <laughs> he just everything is just like Ugh. Uh, i exist Uh. like existential angst is just dripping from every pore of his body so but again the reason why i say maybe him if i had to pick a winner is because similar reason i feel like of everybody on stage it was christy pence and desantis who didn't yell over other people they were maybe a little more direct although pence less so but uh, Christy and DeSantis were a little more direct in answering the question. That was my big takeaway from the night, is like, for the love of God, for any of you out there who are ever going to do a debate, here's my advice to you. If all you do is directly answer the question that's asked of you and then shut the fuck up, you're going to win the debate. I guarantee you. Because you come across as normal when right. you do that. Everybody's like, anyway, back to my talking points on the trans.
1: Right. It's like what? What? You, was, nobody asked you about that. There was a preposterous moment when Vivek got yep. asked mm-hmm. something else about parental bill of rights. Parents, parental bill of rights, and he's like, the first word out of his mouth is transgender no. identity. The first
0: words were, "Let me be clear."
1: Yeah, it was transgender like, identity direct. is mental. Health, whatever <laughs> he insane, like bigoted nonsense that he spouted. We're like, what? that had nothing to do. Let me be clear. You, that's not the question yeah, you got I know. asked. I know what is going on I here. Know. Anyway, there was a lot of that going on. Okay, if I ha- if I had to pick a winner from the many losers that were on that stage, I think I would probably say Desantis. Even though I agree with you, the faces are so. To me, it was worse, this debate, than the first debate, because there was literally not a moment. He's doing this weird, like, chewing thing with the bottom of his jaw all the time. And then if he made a point that he felt like was a good point, he'd do this sort of, like awkward like uh. <laughs> I can't it's so hard to watch I honestly I it, like triggers all of my like empathy instincts too because I'm like God it must be so uncomfortable being in your skin like what is going on in there right now but all of that being said he was less he wasn't mixed up in a lot of the ugliest squabbles on the stage um, he still is holding on to his second place position nobody knocked him off of that perch And so I have to say, you know, that probably benefits him. I think he had a few moments, you know, when he was talking about his like thing about schools and Florida and whatever, it's obviously something that I find wildly objectionable, but I think he delivered it well and assertively and the audience seemed to eat it up. So if I had to pick a winner from that group, I would probably say him. I did think Christie did a little bit better than the first debate where I thought he sort of got like steamrolled. Um, but I just, you know, I know the limits of Christie's appeal within a Republican Party. I, I appreciate that he's the one, like, when they try to ask them, who would you vote off the island? Yeah, and he said Trump. kind of yeah. a childish question. Mm-hmm. But he was like, no, I'll answer the question. It's Trump. Everybody
0: here showed up and he didn't I
1: appreciate that he is Willing to be direct and he's not Afraid the way they're all so running Scared over saying anything like When DeSantis does the mildest critique You can tell he's like terrified in his head About (laughs) what a big deal it is Don't tweet about me yeah that he said anything At all about this man so I do appreciate That I'm just very aware of the limits of this Within the Republican primary yeah yeah So in some sense it's actually the most Substantive part of the debate in my opinion Which was the most interesting at least to me was the very first question where they asked the candidates what they thought about the auto worker strike and we've got a little contrast here between Tim Scott who is fully in the Ronald Reagan, let's fire them, why are they asking so much screw these people, I'm with the bosses, versus the attempted kind of rhetorical sleight of hand of Vivek Ramaswamy who at least wants to signal he's in this new quote unquote populist lane let's take a listen to a little bit of how that went down
2: we should look back at the first bill in Congress under pro Joe Biden. The first bill had $86 billion for the union pensions because they continue to over-promise, yet under-deliver. One of the challenges that we have in the current negotiations is that— They want four-day French work weeks, but more money. They want more benefits working fewer hours. That is simply not going to stand. I'll say this, Joe Biden should not be on the picket line. He should be on the southern border working to close our southern border because it is unsafe, wide open and insecure.
0: Patience for the union bosses, I think that's where he and I actually have a common view I do have a lot of sympathy for the workers, however. People are going through real hardship in this country. I've been through hardship growing up. My father stared down layoffs at GE under Jack Welch's tenure at the GE plant in Evendale, Ohio. My mom had to work overtime in nursing homes in Southwest Ohio to make ends meet and pay off our home loan. So I understand that hardship is not a choice. But victimhood is a choice, and we choose to be victorious in the United States of America.
1: Even understand that last line. Is he saying that the union workers are victims? That they're suffering from victimhood? Is that what he's saying? I
0: think so. But also, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to do what Trump is doing. Mm -hmm. Trump has successfully duped the idiot media into thinking like, oh, he's going to picket with the UAW workers. He's going to talk to striking workers. That is a lie. He went to a non-union scab shop. Now there's since he had the event already. Invitation
1: of management, by the way. At
0: the invitation of management, there's rumors the right to work people set it up, which is they're the anti-union people. They had signs, union workers for Trump that weren't union made that were there. Some people interviewed people who were in the audience, and they were like, "I don't work here, and I'm not a union worker." Right. And it's like, okay, it's and it's all fa- and Trump in the speech was pretending he was talking to the picketing workers, to the UAW workers. Yeah. And just by lying. The way-
1: in a very contemptible way, telling them that You're they are not fighting for the right thing. They don't understand the fight that they're engaged in. They're not, you know, their negotiation is meaningless and that they're not fighting for the right things, too, by the way. So, yeah, that's what Vivek is trying to do. There were a number of other candidates on stage who, you know, they wanted to be like, oh, it's Joe Biden's fault that this strike is happening. But it's weird when like 75% of the public actually supports the strike and the strikers and their demands over the bosses. So to me, it's a weird thing to be like, Joe Biden's to blame for this, When I'm like, it's good that workers feel empowered enough to take these labor actions. And
0: also it's, he's not to blame for it. I got criticisms of Biden. This is not one of them. First of all, Biden's famous line back when he was VP is bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Because he helped bail them out, and that was his big, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm for the unions. He picketed with them in 2019, which I didn't know until this week. He picketed them with them this week. You know who's responsible for it? The big three. The fact that, you know, you have the executives who got a 46% pay increase, and they're doing massive stock buybacks. At the same time, they're screwing over the workers. The workers took a haircut in 2008 yeah. because it was like, hey, you have, to save the company, you have to do this. But don't worry. When times get good, we'll make things right. And they didn't do it. So now, and to what Tim Scott said, at least I I respect the honesty of him being like, I don't like unions or workers. Great. Thank you. (laughs) Now we know where you stand. I don't like Vivek's fake populism thing pisses me off more in the same way Trump's fake populism thing pisses me off more because it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So that, so at least Tim Scott is honest and Nikki Haley's honest on it as well, but they're also just dead wrong. Like going after Biden for- funding pensions for union workers. Oh. That's good. It's a good thing that he did. He should do more of that.
1: Okay. And let me tell you, let me tell you the backstory of this because I um, you happen to know a little bit about this. They're talking about the central state's um, pension, which was, uh, it's, it's Teamsters. And so you're talking about, you know, mostly truckers who... who have been under a consent decree from the federal government for a long time. And so the government hired these Wall Street executives to manage their pension fund. And the thing got completely wiped out during the 2008 crash. It's not the union's fault. It's fucking Wall Street ghouls who, by the way, rather than putting the money into what you would expect, which is like safe investments to make sure it's there for the retirees who've been promised this and are depending on it. Instead, they placed all these wild bets. Why? Because they get a better bigger cut on those types of investments. And so it's you lay the blame directly at Wall Street's feet. It wasn't a union's fault whatsoever. In fact, when I was looking into this. Jimmy Hoffa, the former president of the Teamsters, who was, you know, mob tied and whatever. And that's how they ended up with a government consent decree. He was using the pension fund as like his own piggy bank. But under Jimmy Hoffa, who was like corrupt and using this pension fund as his own piggy bank, it actually outperformed how it did with the Wall Street ghouls managing it. That's how bad this is. Oh, my God. So the problem isn't that Joe Biden... Funded these pension funds and made sure these retirees who had been promised this, you know, basic standard of living in their old age, that he made good on that. The problem is that it took so freaking long to do that when the the issue has been decades of the making. So that one really pisses me off because it is so much bullshit. And if you present it in different ways, I think coal miners might have also been part of this deal because their pension also got screwed. Like, it, it's just the way it was presented is so dishonest and so inaccurate as to what actually. Happened and who was actually to blame. Well,
0: that's Republican politicians for you. By Indeed. the way, uh, so we hit four day work week as well. That pisses me off too yeah, because thanks. every single study I've seen on a four day work week says happiness goes up, productivity either stays the same or goes up. So there's there's literally no downside even from a management perspective. It's a win for management as much as it's a win for the workers. So why would you be against it? It's cuz they just want you to be slavishly That's right. you know, devoted to your company, That's right. come hell or high water and forget everything about your family life, your personal life, leisure time, hobbies. They just want you to shut up and get in the factory, basically.
1: Well, and there's there's two other things to say about the the shorter work week ask, which is actually a fairly um radical radical ask. And it's worth remembering that it's because of the unions that we have a five day work week. Yep. I mean, it, they, that used to not be the norm. Mm-hmm. And people like Tim Scott would have said, how dare you ask for anything other than a seven day work week and be glad you have a job. And it was unions that fought and a lot of auto workers that fought to have a five day work week. Part of the reason why this is an integral ask now is because it is true that in the EV transition, which is happening, whether it's Biden or whoever's in the White House, it's already happening. Biden's trying to speed that transition and make sure American automakers can compete in it. But it is coming no matter what. Um, It does require fewer workers because there are fewer parts that are involved. So part of the idea behind the shorter work week is to try to preserve jobs as well. That's part of it. And then the other part of it that is, you know, I think philosophical and a matter of um, justice and fairness is the fact that you have a lot of white collar workers now who have a lot more flexibility in their week because of the uh, remote work and hybrid Model that has really come into practice, thanks to uh, the COVID pandemic, where you have had an improvement in a lot of ways for a lot of white collar workers in the you know their time that they can spend with their family and their work life balance and all of those things that blue collar and service sector workers have not been able to enjoy because they have to be at the workplace, they can't be on you know the computer on their Zoom, they have to be in the plant manufacturing the goods, etc. And so this is an attempt to try to bring some work life balance. To this sector of the working population as well. So that's why I am, you know, think that this demand from the auto workers is really actually quite visionary. I think it's actually really important to their future. I think it could set a very different standard for blue-collar workers and service sector workers in terms of what we should expect um, their lives to look like. And so, yeah, it pisses me off when he attacked it as like, oh, a French work week or whatever. Guess what? Those French people are, have some things figured out too, by the way. Yeah,
0: I ho- <laughs> and I hope everybody gets a four-day work week to be honest so i'd go even further and this is the beginning of that process if we ever end up getting there now one more thing in response to this this same question or a very similar question pence pivoted totally to bidenomics so just dodges dodge the whole thing on unions perhaps he senses that the political reality is people are now more pro-union than they've ever been yep so he felt like i gotta dodge completely and i think you had nikki haley bring up inflation In Mm. reaction to it Again, total dodge She usually is more honest And is like I hate unions And I hate workers In this instance She pivoted a little bit But you know Like on the Bidenomics front Bringing up Bidenomics uh, You want to say anything About the part of Bidenomics Which is the NLRB Which just increased Overtime pay For a tremendous number of people You want to say anything About the new rule Which makes it so That there's any union busting The union is automatically recognized You want to say anything About that part of Bidenomics No, I don't think so And then uh, On the inflation point Yet again They're stuck in the Big government spending Leads to inflation And they don't Now now, what's called greedflation is totally mainstream theory. You have a lot of people who previously were acting like, no, this is a conspiracy theory. This isn't true. They've come out and they've been like, actually, there's a lot of evidence now that greedflation was the problem. Namely, the corporations took advantage of this hysteria about inflation in the media to then jack up prices across the board because yeah. they can get away with it.
1: Including the automakers. I mean, Sean Fain always um, points out And I wish I remembered the numbers off the top of my head, but their wages, auto worker wages have gone down, literally gone down when you can account for inflation. And yet the cost of new cars has gone up by like 40 percent. So and they get blamed for, oh, it's going to be the labor and all the costs that goes. It's five percent of the cost of the car is labor. So it shows you and they've been making tremendous profits, record breaking profits they can afford to give out these friggin' stock buybacks, the tunes of like trillions of dollars. They can certainly afford to do better by their workforce. So yeah, this one, obviously, you know, it drives me crazy. Like you said, Kyle, I actually almost appreciate the Tim Scotts and Nikki Haley's of the world who are just like, Nope, we're union busters. We hate unions. We're on the side of the bosses because you can work with that. The dishonesty and the attempted dodge too to blame the EV transition.
0: That's Trump's move, yeah.
1: So, just to be clear, the union is not opposed to the EV transition. No. They just want them to be good jobs.
0: Union jobs, right. And
1: they want them to be good union jobs. That's what they're fighting for, and that's what they're pissed with Biden about, because... While the Inflation Reduction Act did some good things in terms of industrial policy and trying to make sure that U.S. automakers are able to compete as we do move into this new era with regard to um, electric vehicles, it didn't include requirements for wages and didn't include requirements for unions, thanks in part to our friend uh, Joe Manchin over there, who was adamantly opposed to any of that. And so that's their beef with Joe Biden. What the Republicans want to do is Nothing. <laughs> they don't want to. They don't want to help with the transition. They want to pretend it's not happening. And you know what will happen then? All those jobs will go to China, and they will. The U.S. automakers will struggle because if you look at the numbers, not just here in the U.S., but more importantly globally, um, the EV market is exploding. This is an industry of the future. And so, what we need to do is make sure that we have those jobs here. And that they're good jobs, that it's not another race to the bottom. And their whole thing about EVs is just so much bullshit, so much dodging, so much trying to signal they're on the side of the workers when they're really not. And obviously the core agenda is to serve fossil fuel interests and make sure that we never do anything about climate change ever.
0: And Trump keeps bringing up China to make the point that you're making right here. And the fact of the matter is you were president for four years. There was net outsourcing of two hundred thousand factory jobs when he was president. Under Biden, there's a net increase of eight hundred thousand manufacturing jobs. So any sort. Of, and by the way, Trump's number one accomplishment: the tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations that also incentivized outsourcing. Yeah. So I don't want to hear anything from him about like, oh, you know, your job's going to go to China and electric vehicles are the problem. No, they want better pay and fewer hours. That's what they want. Do you agree or do you disagree? They disagree. They but they won't say it. And uh, corporate greed is the main problem here. Nobody on that stage. We'll say that very basic fact. Yeah. Corporate greed is the problem because they all agree with the corporate greed.
1: Yeah. And not one of them would say, I agree with the workers. I side with the workers. They should have a race. And if you did the plan of, you know, rolling back all the EV subsidies that um, were contained in the Inflation Reduction Act and the consumer credits and all of that stuff, that will guarantee that China, which is already kicking our ass in electric vehicles because they started before this, that will guarantee that they and potentially Europe will dominate this new market. And guess what that will mean for our workers? Nothing. Good, very bad. Nothing very bad. good whatsoever. Yeah. So, I mean, they have it completely ass backwards as per usual.
0: So now I want to get to um, what was one of the general flows and gist of the debate which is why it was so infuriating and why i think everybody lost i believe we have a little crosstalk compilation take a look at this guys
3: I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, hmm. because I can't believe you know, they I'm hear you've got Finlay. a TikTok situation. I, they oh, were there curtains. before I even oh. showed up at the oh. residence. You here's, are scrapping. Here's you a, are scrapping. Excuse me. You, you know here's, I Here's a fact, though. I cut taxes. I loaded you up our You board, wanted a gas tax increase, and then you wanted
2: a... Ladies and gentlemen, we do not intend to go ahead like.
1: And that was not, like, an isolated... No. It, this was, like, the so much of the debate <laughs> my, was just like that. My and it favorite was, was Bergam.
0: Bergam was my favorite. Because he would, like... There would be, like, a lull when somebody comes to the end of the answer. And yeah. then the moderator would start asking the next question. And Bergam would be like, Well, I would... I would like to ask the, I have to address the childcare situation. And, but the last time I in North Dakota energy independence and, and and everybody be like, (laughs) <laughs> Did Dana, when Dana Perino can like get you to calm down, you're not an alpha. You, Dana Perino was like, sir, we'll get to you.
1: That was the only person they were able to like effectively control Correct. everyone else. They completely lost control of this debate and really didn't even try to bring him back on the rails. You know, you cannot listen. I know it's probably difficult to be in their shoes, whatever, but they no. failed miserably <laughs> at the task of asking interesting questions. And that's, I think part of what created this messy, bizarre pettiness and, And some of the weird attacks here is that the moderators weren't drawing out some of the natural organic differences so that you could have a more substantive conversation about where they disagree. So it led to Tim Scott being like, let me tell you about Nikki Haley's curtains and all of these very petty, nasty silly, small-minded mess. It was just a mess. And another thing
0: that happened as much as the crosstalk was China, 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 and the border. Yeah, and the border.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tim Scott, the very first question that we showed you with the union, he's like, Joe Biden shouldn't be on the picket line. He should be at the southern border. Am I right? Am I right? And I think Pence said,
0: he shouldn't be on the picket line. He should be on the unemployment
1: line. <laughs> <laughs> <And> everybody's like <laughs> imagine them workshopping these and there's consultants oh my God, and be like, oh you got him the, you're gonna
0: nail them. crystal that's the thing i keep coming back to though is like i seriously don't understand it all of these massively overpaid consultants people who've been in politics their entire lives and not one of them told their candidate radical idea just answer whatever question they ask you and then shut up yeah because i've been in debates before i know what this is like And you will win if you just come across as normal and direct. You don't even have to have the most charismatic personality in the world. If you are normal and direct, you will win the debate. I'm waiting for the first consultant to tell a political candidate, for the love of God, just directly answer and then shut up. They'll win the debate by 20 points. Yeah. It won't
1: even be close. Yeah. And um, I think that from the first debate when Vivek was very aggressive and, like, interrupted people a bunch, I think they all sort of— took this idea of like oh that's the thing to yes, do Yeah, that's a
0: great point yeah it, i didn't think it's of that
1: one thing when you got one person on stage being an obnoxious asshole like vivek was the first it's another thing when they're all trying to do it and then you just end up with a total like just sort of shameful embarrassing display for the whole nation
0: yeah and there if there's one thing i missed it was asa hutchinson
1: yeah, well, I mean, I I actually think Asa might be one of the winners of this debate. Not he just went
0: from it. he just went from having seven voters to eight.
1: <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, so JL Partners, who did our focus groups over at Breaking Points and are um, really great to work with, they did a post-debate poll, and they actually, oh, I didn't know we had
0: a poll yet. That's yeah, great.
1: here I'll find if I'll find it here um, because their number one who won the debate was Donald Trump. Um that's what so, we thought. Yeah, yeah so that and Biden, sense. yeah. And then second was actually Vivek, which I'm kind of surprised at. What? I d- disagree, hard disagree. And I don't think he'll say. Okay, it. wait.
0: Theory, theory. Yeah. I think it's because there was one moment where I think it was Christie said something anti-Trump and Vivek played the role of like, "No, I will coddle Trump's ballsack." And yeah. he was like, "Actually, I think he was the greatest president of all time." Right. <laughs>
1: Right. so Is that why you think? Yeah. I mean, I think your analysis from our first debate of like, yeah, people who like Trump, they see Vivek as the closest Trump like ball coddler, as you put it. And so they give him the win. But it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, they're not
0: voting for him. Because they're not voting for
1: him. They're voting for Trump.
0: Yeah, his whole thing is I'm a beta. So people are going to go, great, you're a beta. I'll go for the alpha. (laughs) Yeah, I like
1: that you support The guy who I'm actually voting for. Mm -hmm. I think that's the Vivek thing. DeSantis was next at 17. Okay,
0: that's somewhat expected.
1: Nikki Haley at six, Mike Pence at six, Tim Scott at five, Chris Christie at three, Doug Burgum at three. But this is what cracked me up, is Asa Hutchinson, they put in here at two. He wasn't even on the stage and he did like, about as well as, like, Doug Burgum and Chris Christie.
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and give the ASA support to Doug Burgum because there might be people who confuse you that. Who just
1: think they're the same person. Yeah, because
0: they are kind of the same person. The only difference is the eyebrows.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Burgum's
0: got some caterpillars, dog. Holy
1: cow. Yeah. Well, Ella, um, our 15-year-old, says that he gives Patriotic Eagle. And I pa- think Patriotic Eagle? Yeah, that that's his look. And I could see something that. Something about, like, the angular nature of his features and then those those big eye- dark eyebrows that that gives patriotic
0: his launch video is one of my favorite political videos of all time it was the best thing he does the everything the slow motion guys come to this camera come to this camera come to my uh, tight shot colvin there we go watch this this, is, this was doug Burgum in the video <laughs> and you had like the patriotic music playing in the background yeah some random dude like riding a horse <laughs> <laughs> He's like shoveling in his yard, and
1: like. <clears throat>
0: The only thing it was missing was remember the old Hulk Hogan entrance th- theme song. I am a real American. Oh. fight for the rights of every man. That's a <laughs> banger song, by the way. Go look it up. They're gonna get that. The video of that on YouTube is now gonna get like an extra 2,000 <laughs> listens from that. <laughs> it's a good song.
1: People go. I would the it. memories.
0: I'd listen to that in the car. Yes. All right. So now let's go ahead and jump to. This is uh, one of my favorite moments. I, when I was watching it, this was one that stuck out to me the most yeah. because it just highlighted the absurdity, even more so than the crosstalk, I think. Yeah. So this is the famous, or should I say, infamous Curtains debate. Watch this.
2: As the UN ambassador, you literally it, put $50,000 on Curtains and <laughs> a $15 million subsidized location.
3: Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go to you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go and to YouTube. And you want to know what that 10 yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will pass it is if you, will will you give us three, three...
2: All you me, have to do is go watch Nikki Haley, Haley on no, YouTube. No, 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 if
3: you will give me three times the deduction in income tax, then I will look at your gas tax, which is why it didn't happen. Secondly, exactly, Ron. Secondly, on the no, 50 here's, million — Here is
2: a nice part.
3: Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, ten because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them it, back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them Did back? you are the one that works in Congress. Oh, no, my gosh. You get it You time. hung them on
2: your, your, your curtains. I, they your were there curtains. before
3: I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are scrapping. Here's a, here's you are a, scrapping. I'm not — it. You know here's a fact. Here's a fact, though. I cut said I up our — You
2: wanted a —
0: Oh, that was great. i
1: actually rewatching <laughs> that. I want to know what DeSantis decided he yeah, needed to chime saying, in with yeah. in that debate. And then Vivek is doing something. Let me get in here <laughs> my on the favorite cur- parts, curtain debate.
0: My favorite parts were, they were Obama's curtains. Tim <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Tim Scott ups in and, and he says, I'm like, did you hang the curtains? <laughs>
1: did you hang him did you take him down did you take him down
0: (laughs) and then i like how the genesis of it all was a heated debate over a 10 cent gas tax (laughs) as if that's gonna be the deciding factor for some voters (laughs) i was gonna vote for nikki Haley, but that 10 cent gas tax
1: i can't do it did you hear about those obama curtains how could she (laughs)
0: it it came in waves too like they were really angry about the curtains then it like dip for a second then it comes right back to the (laughs) curtains really strongly again they were obama's curtains
1: (laughs) so i was asking because he would be the type to remember this type of political trivia i was asking ryan like what the fuck is the backstory with this because i can't remember any sort of little political moment. I sort of vaguely remember an
0: article on it. Really? Yeah, so I don't know the details though. He
1: said apparently, Obama did some renovation of the UN ambassador's residence. Scandal. And, so, and then the, you know, the. I guess Nikki Haley, when she's appointed UN ambassador, is faced with this deep moral quandary of whether you rip down the Obama <laughs> extravagance. Bring curtains. in cardboard boxes.
0: <laughs> we can't have this extravagance. <laughs> Put some cockroaches on the floor.
1: (laughs) I just, again, I want to know what that brainstorming session was because this was clearly a pre-planned attack. You know, he decided I got to take Nikki down a peg and I know what's going to do it. People don't even know about this curtain situation. I'm going to expose her to the whole world.
0: We actually missed a really funny part as well that came just before this clip. It's when he first tries to land the 10 cent gas tax hit Mm. and it lands so poorly that Tim Scott says it twice. Really? So he's like, and when you were in South Carolina you decided you were going to do a a gas tax of 10 cents. And then you did, you decided a 10 cent gas tax. (laughs) And the audience is like,
1: (laughs) it was a real like, please clap. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It was very, it was very thirsty. He didn't stick the landing. It was very like fumbly and bumbly. And because it's was, not in his nature. You're right.
1: That's not in his nature. That was all of his attacks were like, it was like the words would be garbled. He's clearly <laughs> uncomfortable. Then you're, you're trading your fire <laughs> curtains and tents and guests. They were like, <laughs> This is crazy.
0: We have like 70% of the countries living paycheck to paycheck and they're arguing
1: about curtains. Who bought the curtains? Who bought the curtains and whether you had a moral obligation (laughs) to take them down. And then she's like, well, did you take them? You were in Congress. You were responsible for the curtains. Where were you on this scandal, Tim Scott? It's amazing. Oh, oh,
0: that was so good. Yeah. Uh, Of all
1: the things that you could hit Nikki Haley for, there are many. And that, that's what you land on. She never met a war she didn't like. Yeah.
0: She's like a total Israel cuck. Give them billions of dollars. Let them do an ethnic cleansing. You know, like so many things. She's a standard, standard issue. Rep- I mean, so is Tim Scott, Yeah, but th- Republican that's, politician on economics. That's it's like, give everything issue. to the rich and corporations and screw the workers. And yeah. it's like, he's like, I agree with you on I'm that. with you on that but part. That but that 10 cent gas curtains, tax and that curtains. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I would never. Unbelievable.
0: <laughs> All right. So now let's get to this is probably the most talked about moment of the night. Um, I've seen more on this than anything else, and it's by a mile, to Mm -hmm. be honest. So this is Chris Christie with his now infamous line about Donald Trump. Watch this. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added 7.8 trillion to the debt, that set the stage for the inflation that we have now.
2: In Washington, D.C. also. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I wanna look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight not because of polls, and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on this stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's gonna happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is gonna call you Donald Trump anymore. We're gonna call you Donald Duck. All right. <laughs> oh,
0: when I was watching that live, I was like, Christy, no, don't do it, no.
1: Because the build-up is pretty good. It was
0: really good, the thing like, I know you're watching, you can't help yourself. I was like, oh.
1: Yeah, that was good. Yeah, we're Mm -hmm. you were coming into something here, and then that was oh so So, crazy. And then the other thing that I got in rewatching it is like the face that he makes after. Oh yeah, that was all over Twitter. Like so proud of himself like he really nailed it and so let me flow really my theory
0: it. by you because i, I brought it up uh, to the guys in the control room beforehand and they were not buying it okay <laughs> I'm curious what right. you think um because yeah that was float- all over twitter the christy face and they were comparing it to the kevin james meme where he's making that face like the half smile like oh yeah yeah
1: yeah they were comparing yeah. it to that yeah, yeah yeah
0: and um so here's my thought it was so corny and it was so cheesy that it's like a horseshoe effect It's like really bad, but then also, no, this is also really good. I like it.
1: I'm not. I'm not buying this like four-dimensional uh, chess from Chris Christie. I'm all either. in on the
0: four-dimensional chess thing. I I mean, just, it was just, such like it was such like a goofy, endearing moment. It's, it's like, like a dad joke, you know? Oh,
1: <laughs> such a dad joke! Such a dad joke! Trump's no, gonna respond to this and be really... like,
0: "You're a fat slob." <laughs> a, yeah,
1: I know. That's the thing. Is like, you know, we showed the the DeSantis part too. That was his big own of Trump. That again is so tepid.
0: Which, by the know? way, I don't know if people caught this. Literally. Three seconds before that DeSantis attack, Christie had said the same thing. That's right. He was like, yeah. Donald Trump should be here. And by the way, he also, he needs to answer the questions like everybody else. And by the way, he added $7 to the debt. And then DeSantis comes in like he's making a, a novel point. Right, <laughs> it's I know. Like, he just said that.
1: And meanwhile, you know, there he's like dancing around, oh, he should be here. And this very, like, mild attack mm-hmm. that I know he felt very like, oh, I can't believe I said it. Yeah. And you then know? when he says it, he and does me- the whole like, don't hit me. Yeah, and then meanwhile. <laughs> he should
0: be here $7 t-
1: Trump is like, Trump is out there like, Ron DeSantis falling from the sky and the pole is like a wounded bird. You know, I mean, he just will go all in and talking about how he came to me with tears in his eyes. And they're so meek and mild. And the Donald, uh, that's the other thing. You know, they've tried this. They tried this in 2016, too. Trump will do the nickname thing. And then they're like, oh, we need to come up with a nickname for him to get him back. And it's like. Uh, it's just it's not your thing. It's not working. It feels very try hard. It's embarrassing. It reveals that it's very preplanned to and not organic. It was just bad.
0: They call him gay Ron, folks. They say he's gay. I'm not saying he's gay. But many people, sir, sir, did you just say he's gay? Sir, I didn't say it. He said it. They called him Pudding Ron, Meepo Ron, Gay Ron, folks. He seems very, he wore a lot of makeup. He wore a lot of makeup at the debate, folks. Did you see that thing that was going viral where DeSantis was getting makeup put on yes. during the uh, commercial break?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty and they sure were I showed that
0: like, <laughs> Just like slobbing it on. Yeah,
1: and they said that they were pretty sure this had been made a felony in Florida for <laughs> right. men to wear this much makeup.
0: Yeah, because it did crack down on drag queens and whatnot. Indeed. All right, so now we got one more for you. And this one, look, this one is more serious because this was, just in my opinion, this is, the night was loathsome across the board. This was the most loathsome moment by far because it's, this is just so insanely factually inaccurate. It drives me crazy. Here's Tim Scott's moment of like, I'm one of the good ones. Watch this.
2: Here's the challenge though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided <laughs> to put money. Where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail. And you can now measure that in unemployment and crime and devastation. If you want to reach.
0: I mean, Jesus Christ, man. First of all, after FDR, there's a good argument Lyndon B. Johnson is our second best president in modern history. Yeah. Okay. His biggest problem, his biggest disaster was Vietnam. Yeah. He did. They called it guns and butter. If he dropped the guns part and just did the butter part, he would honestly be rivaling FDR. FDR had some bad things, like Japanese internment was horrendous. Right. right? But in terms of his economic policy, uh, the New Deal, the jobs programs, a lot of stuff was phenomenal. Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, I don't know, uh, some, a lot of people might not know his record, but Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, okay? That wasn't JFK. There's was this big misconception that it was JFK signed. No, wrong. Lyndon Johnson, who, by the way, was personally very racist, also happened to sign the the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Fair Housing Act of 1968, Medicare, Medicaid, Head Start, and he launched the war on poverty. Right. And he says, yeah, the segregation, Jim Crow, redlining, we survived all that. What's really hard to survive is the great society and welfare. Are you kidding me? This stuff, there's just right wing total mythology that actually it made everybody worse off it's not true there's data on this that tracks it in terms of how people are doing and when you give people a little bit of cash help when you give people health care it substantively materially improves their lives it's that he's so stuck on this unfettered laissez-faire capitalist free market propaganda that he seems to sincerely believe no when it's a dog-eat-dog world and we have low taxes on the wealthy and low taxes on corporations, and no social safety net, that actually helps black families. That's total nonsense.
1: I mean, I really want people to take in the fact that this dude just said that Medicare was harder to survive than slavery. Just like, and then here's what, what also gets me is Tim Scott got a lot of like media praise. There was even a moment in this debate about his dispute with Ron DeSantis over the African-American history curriculum being taught in the state of Florida where they downplayed slavery and were trying to like, peep, slaves got good skills from slavery too. Don't forget that. And so he's all like morally outraged about that. But it's like, what do you think you're playing into with this kind of rhetoric? This is
0: worse than that. About how
1: welfare and Medicare is worse than slavery? Was worse for black people than slavery. And then you have the audacity to be all outraged when, you know, your right wing allies are like, hey, slavery, useful skills, etc. This is worse than that. I mean, it, oh, it is way more blatant, way more blatant. And just it's complete and utter insanity. And if anyone of those moderators had, you know, asked if like, okay, which part was a head start? That was worse than slavery is it medicare that's worse than slavery is it the civil rights act that was worse than slavery like which part of this was you know so horrific and harder to sur- survive than jim crow re- redlining segregation and slavery total insanity so but, like <clears throat> listen he this is a big this is his thing that he i, I think he genuinely believes in the right-wing like propaganda about american bootstraps and all of this stuff and it's very useful um for republicans to have him up there saying these completely insane things the crowd ate it up
0: so i don't think any of the white candidates could have gotten away with saying that that explicitly no they would have needed to put more coded language in there and sort of danced around it a little bit and i think it would have been a much bigger scandal if one of the white candidates said that. That's point number one. Point number two is I like Colvin's theory. He was talking to me before the show. He said this could be like, you say something like this to permanently lock up that South Carolina Senate seat if you want to. And I think that's what this does. This is the Republican voters in South Carolina being like, he's one of the good ones. Yep. You know, totally agrees with us on, on all this stuff. And it's like, I just hate, it's, it's such it's such a myth. You know, it's just like the Reagan myth of the welfare queen. And Vivek even said this at one point during the debate. He's like, actually, you make more money from not working. That's not
1: true. Total bullshit. That's total nonsense. And even when we had what we were calling the superdole during COVID, where you were getting more unemployment, that's all been stripped away now. So it's not remotely true what he's um, saying. But there were tons of studies. The states that rolled back that added unemployment, the idea was like, oh, that'll force people back into the workforce. It didn't. If anything, they actually found that those states that rolled back the unemployment benefits early had lower workforce participation. So it it wasn't this idea, oh, people were just lazy and they didn't want to work and they'd rather sit there on the dole or whatever. That just wasn't reality. It's not reality. Anytime they do the universal basic income studies, they just... You know, they substitute their values and their idea that like, oh, people need to work hard and that's part of your moral value and whatever. They substitute that for actual economic arguments and data. And the two things do not go together <laughs> whatsoever, like the version of the world that they've made up is completely disconnected from reality.
0: They seem to think we already live in a meritocracy and it's like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, work hard, you'll be OK. But we don't already live in a meritocracy, and all of the evidence in the world proves that point. This isn't like a difficult conclusion to reach. Every time one of those Oxfam reports come out, you know what I'm talking about, the big Oxfam reports? For example, there's like six people in the U.S. or nine people in the U.S. who have more wealth than the bottom 50% of the country? Right. That's Are you telling me those six people just happen to work harder than over 150 million people put together?
1: Yeah, it's insane. It's
0: just, it's just not true. And also, there was another point in the debate with DeSantis where they say, like, and this is actually a good question, shockingly, from the moderators. They were like, why is it the case that there are so many people who don't have health insurance in Florida? Why is your state literally one of the worst when it comes to people with health insurance? Yeah. And his reaction was basically like, In Florida, we've created a field of dreams. You know, you can go as far as you want, but that means there's no, you know, people. We don't just hand out welfare easily. Well, Ron DeSantis made a choice to reject Medicaid expansion. Right. 250,000 people who had health care during the pandemic, because there was the federal support at the time, he stripped it away. 250,000 people. Wow. And now you have Tim Scott going out there saying Medicaid is worse than slavery. Go tell that to the 250,000 people who just had healthcare during the pandemic. Now they don't have healthcare.
1: Right. Go right. tell that to them. Well, and that's the other thing that they, they pretend like it's a meritocracy, like it truly is, you know, the cream that rises to the top or whatever. And as if those people are somehow more worthy of a decent life than people who are struggling to get by. They also pretend like we have some elaborate social safety net, which we definitely do not. And. You know, the part of, I think, core reason why Biden is struggling in the polls right now is is because— Over the course of his administration, the beginning, we had additional pandemic era um, pieces put in place. And the story of his administration has been those programs getting cut and cut and cut. And so now you have Americans who are dealing with inflation and they're racking up credit card debt. Their bank accounts are drained. They're completely financially stressed. They lost the child tax credit. You know, they're having to restart the student loan debt payments. All that's the real issue of the Biden administration is that there isn't a social safety net. Nearly to the extent that we should that we should have. I mean, we are a wild outlier in terms of the developed nation, in terms of just the basic needs of our people being met. And they're out here pretending like there's some dole that people are just getting rich sitting on their butts. We, we don't have that. I would listen. I personally would like to live in that society where people, you know, want to just like live a um, sort of meager life and not, and be able to do what they want to do. I'd be perfectly fine with that, but that is not remotely the society that we live in whatsoever. So they've, invented this fantasy, and it's always projected on, you know, whoever their uh, disenfranchised group that they want to screw over of the day is, that they're the ones who are lazy, they're the ones that are taking advantage of the system, and there is no system to take advantage of.
0: Yeah, and by the way, the society that they're attacking, it's called Mm -hmm. Scandinavia, it's called social democracy, and it's awesome. And they do these uh, reports, like every other year, about happiness around the world, and those... Those countries, even though they live in one of the coldest, most dreary gray places in the world, they self-report being happier than most countries on Earth.
1: Yeah, they're consistently like the happiest societies in the world. They always, their cope for that is like, oh, it's because they're like all, they're not ethnically diverse as if you can't have. Well, and they
0: also say, actually, it's the capitalism part that makes them happier. Right. It's like, well, hold on now. They have a capitalism, but less <laughs> capitalism than we do here. So by your own logic, shouldn't we be happier? If capitalism is the key the ingredient, then, right? hey, then we should be happier. S- we're
1: swimming in that capitalism. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I, it, it, and to, just to underline your points, I think it's the most important point about Biden. Yes, this is the part like, look, he's done a lot of things that I support that I think are good things. I talk about them all the time. The various provisions in the IRA that I think are great. the You know, the CHIPS Act, the PACT Act, pulling out of Afghanistan, etc cetera, etc cetera. 15% corporate minimum tax rate making you know th- this, these are all positive things but to your point the biggest failure and i don't even think this is debatable yeah is that the covid era pandemic social safety net expansions have gone away and if we had those in place i think we would be looking at even though biden's a dusty carcass biden plus 8 right now against I trump i agree but I since that understand. went away that's the problem and so it it almost diminishes the positive things that were in the IRA, in the infrastructure law, in the chips act, et cetera. Like we're gaining 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Normally that's a huge boon to somebody who's in office. It's like, yeah, we're going to vote for you. You're looking out for us. You know, we're going to look out over the NLRB stuff. Yeah, we're going to vote for you. But when you take away all of the expansion of the social safety net and you could put the blame definitely goes to Biden. I, probably put even more blame on the likes of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who yeah. are the reason why the, the child tax credit, for example, didn't get expanded. Right. But that is definitely the problem. And in this weird, insane, uh, mythological world, they flip it completely. And they're like, actually, you're doing too much social safety net stuff. And that's why, look, we'll come first full circle to end this uh, discussion here. But winner, the winners of the night, Trump, just because he wasn't there, so he's the winner for the Republican primary, but also yeah. Joe Biden, because you look at all these people and you go, holy shit, Joe Biden could be a rotting, decrepit, dusty ass old carcass, and he would be preferable to any of these goons. Oh, yeah,
1: it's not close. I um I also think, you know, Trump tried to do this bait and switch with his um, quote unquote worker speech, which is a non-union shop with Maybe not even workers, but not many union workers certainly, and organized by this like right to work anti union activists, and invited in by management. whatever we tried to do the bait and switch, but I will say I I think that workers and auto workers are smart enough to see through this crap. Sean Fain's
0: leading the way too. He called this out perfectly.
1: Absolutely, and you know Sean Fain has been maybe the most effective messenger against Trump that I have really seen without a doubt because he gets the heart of the issue like this guy represents the billionaire class he is everything we're fighting against yep. and no I don't want to meet with you no I have no interest oh. in what nonsense you have to spew and by the way where were you in 2019 when we were also out and by the way where have you been your entire fucking career when you've been a union buster not only you know in your business life but certainly in the in the presidency and you have to remember for auto workers, like they heard Trump's promises about Lordstown and don't sell your homes and it's all going to come back. It was all a lie. It was all a lie. And Carrier, the Carrier lost, Factory
0: thing was a lie too.
1: We lost auto manufacturing jobs on his tenure. You think they don't know that? There's a reason why uh, Joe Biden doubled the margin that Hillary Clinton got with union workers. Um, in 2020 versus 2016. And it's partly because, you know, he has more of like this working class affect or whatever. It's partly because they see that Donald Trump is a fucking liar when it comes to unions and working people. They have seen it very clearly, maybe more clearly than anyone, which is why Michigan ended up actually not being all that close in this last election Mm -hmm. after Trump won it in 2016. So I just want to give people... A little bit of credit that they're not falling for this bait and switch. I think they see through it very clearly. I don't think that many are under any illusion that Donald Trump really has the interests of any workers, let alone union workers, in mind.
0: I think the perfect example of it is you brought up Lordstown. And also, I think the carrier situation, he made yep. a big show of it. The media fell for it, including me. All in up to that, I fell for it. The whole like, oh, I'm going to keep your carrier jobs here. Went to the factory, gave a speech. Everybody, hooray, Trump's protecting our jobs. He's not going to outsource them. And then what happened? Literally within a year or two, all of those jobs were outsourced anyway, but it's worse than that because they also gave massive subsidies to Carrier. They took the subsidies, which means they shake down the taxpayers and then they outsource the jobs anyway. So it would have been better if you did nothing. Yep. And that's in a nutshell what Trump is when it comes to these economic type issues.
1: Yeah. So I was heartened to see Biden's very first direct anti-Trump ad was about these issues. It was right. about mm-hmm. wages. It was about unions. It was about his broken, you know, promises with regards to workers and his empty rhetoric. And, um, you know, a lot of times I think Democrats have done a very poor job running against Trump. I think that's a very um, I think that's a very positive direction, especially, like I said, in the state of Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Ohio, even though Ohio is pretty red at this point, Pennsylvania. Sherrod Brown, though. Where this Sherrod is, Brown wins there all the time. Yeah. Places where this is very, you know, very real, very visceral, very tangible and not. The symbolic chatty uh, and just invoking the words workers is not going to be enough.
0: Yep. All right, guys. So that's the show. That's our breakdown for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, guys, uh, we don't do any ads for this show. Uh, we've never talked to any company or corporation or anything like that. So we really appreciate any support you might give. Uh, you could. Look in the video description box below if you're watching this on YouTube and sign up on Substack and that helps out the show tremendously. You pay $5 a month and you get the video of every interview or debate or discussion and you get it a day early. Like I always say, everybody can also uh, listen for free, sign up on Substack and you can get the audio podcast a day later. But thank you as always for listening to us babble. We truly appreciate it. We love you guys and we'll talk to you soon.